The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back for another week. I can... uh, tell you that our guest today is going to give you so much hope, so many tools, so many uh, stories that she has to share with us. And it's all about grief and healing from grief. I don't know that you ever heal completely, but moving forward and, and not suffering as much as as so many are. I, I, I hear it in my own voice that I'm not quite up to the energy level that I always have. I usually come in with a little more excitement and I am thrilled to be here. But many of you who follow my work know that my beloved dog Rudy passed uh, Sunday just four days ago after 16 years of love with him. And it just does come with a heaviness no matter what you know. Just a sadness that that, uh, happily... I know he is still with us. He's still around, and he is released from that that poor, sick body that he inhabited at the end there. But still, we sure do miss our babies, don't we? But the grief that our guest today, Susan Hannafin McNabb, suffered is uh, the kind that knocks you to your knees, and she said literally for months, if not over a year, and she has risen from that to share with us today. She's a social worker, a teacher, author of a five-time award-winning book, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. I have read the book. I'm so excited to share it with you. And I'm probably going to say at least three times in this show, you need to get this book, even if you're not grieving now. But before I blab on too much. Susan, please welcome to the show. Thank you, Suzanne. It is so nice to be here. I really appreciate you having me on today. Oh, well, it's a, it's a gift that you agreed to come on the show. I'd like to start by, <laughs> this is a, a strange way to say it, but it's establishing your credentials as a grief expert through the Been There, Done That School, Right. Would you just tell us uh, your grief journey? I certainly can. Uh, Well, before my grief journey actually began, I was a teacher and I was a social worker. So those are important things to remember because I utilized 
those professional skills in order to start my healing journey when it happened. And um, when it happened was actually 2012. I was 41 years old. My husband, Brent, and I and our five-year-old son were living in Australia. Brent was this amazing professor who was always um, up to some kind of activity or newness. He played the bagpipes. He was a surfer, (laughs) kind of a jack-of-all-trades. And um, we were moving back to the mainland USA and he was in a car accident, um, sudden death. He was missing for two weeks before yeah, we actually knew. Let's just slow down a second because you, I know that we don't want to belabor this, but talk about trauma. Your, your husband just didn't come home one night. And exactly. I, and I read what, about what this were those two weeks like? Oh, you know, the first term that comes to mind is surreal because, Mm. you know, I know you're former military and I'm from a a military family and the term MIA, right? Missing in action is a term that I always heard about. It was over there in the military world, but all of a sudden that was my world. That was my personal world. And um, it was two weeks of of surrealness. I mean, what do you do with that, right? Your husband goes out for a drive and doesn't return. Um, So it was bringing a private investigator on board, filing a missing persons report, and the waiting and the wondering and the heartbreak and the, you know, 25,000 other emotions that go on. until we got the uh, ding-dong at the door with the medical examiner um, Mm -hmm. reporting that a photographer, a nature photographer, was out in a local area where Brent had been driving. It was kind of a mountainous area here in San Diego, and the vehicle just went off the road. And it took two weeks for a nature photographer who was photographing this beautiful area to see that there was Uh, car and wreckage down at the bottom so that is when the journey officially began you know it was this bizarre surreal space for two weeks because we didn't know what had happened Um, but that day my wedding anniversary July 30th is when my grief journey really began yeah that was stunning to read in your book that the You'd learned of his passing on your anniversary, and your, the next day was your birthday. Exactly. I actually had a a friend say to me afterwards, so who was the perfectionist? I said, huh? what do you mean? She said, well, that was perfect timing, perfectly awful timing, but perfect mm-hmm. timing. I said, well, that perfectionist would be me. She said, there you go. <laughs> so the kind of dream... You describe in the book is it's like I said you said knocks you to your knees but just describe what you went through because I know so many people listening have felt that kind of grief and those who haven't will still be able to identify right so for me I was 41 I had never in my life experienced a death uh, my friends were all living My parents are still living. All four of my grandparents lived until they were in their 80s or 90s. Mm -hmm. 
death was a completely foreign idea. Um, I studied grief in my master's of social work program, but, you know, reading it on paper is of course, as we all know, very different from experiencing it yourself. Yeah. If I, if I could just say that, um, and this is going to sound really strange coming from a medium. So I absolutely mean this from the human standpoint. Our, spiritually, I know it's not the end. And we all who look into the afterlife know that. But from the human standpoint, the one thing that I find so stunning in the in the multiple close deaths that, that I've endured is that, that, that thought, it's so final. You know, you can't get them back physically, you know. Yes. And that is what knocked me to my knees. I mean, this is a man I was with for 17 years. Um, We met in our early 20s. We kind of grew up together. And here I am with a five-year-old. And I mean, death was foreign. Grief was foreign. Trauma, which I had endured for those two weeks, was foreign as well. So I describe, you know, just being in a dark pit, the darkest, darkest pit, like a well, like so deep down and so dark and just not having any tools whatsoever Mm. to even stand up, much less try to crawl out of there. And it wasn't until I finally realized in some way that I've got this child here yeah, I have got to do something to crawl out of here, and I don't know who, how, when, or what, but this child deserves a childhood, and I'm the only one that's going to do that for him. <laughs> and because I was a teacher and a social worker, I had to rally as a teacher to give him what a child needs in a horrific experience because I had all the background in child development. And then I really set out to social work our own life. Hmm. What what was it that you knew that your child needed? I knew he needed stability. I knew he needed structure. I knew he needed love and he needed hope. And, you know, it's one reason why, this uh, time, this pandemic time is so hard when children are at home because children thrive in structure and that's what school gives them. So I knew I needed to, to find some tools for him. Um, He was grieving as well. So I knew I needed to find a child therapist. I needed to onboard our family and friends to surround him with normalcy and um and that's what has happened over the last 8 years. And we were just talking about Jacob before the show started that he's 13 now and doing wonderfully, which is great. He is. You know, I always say to people, you would never know that this tragedy happened in our lives because this 13-year-old is <laughs> he's amazing. He blows me away. He's he's brilliant like his dad. He plays two to three musical instruments. He just built his own computer the other day. Um, He's very, very deeply spiritual. Wow. He's just kind of a jack of all trades like his father. And um, that's one way that Brent comes to both of us is through Jacob. 
Oh, boy. Well, I want to hear about that later because everybody, I hope you <laughs> perked up there okay. because we, we, Susan is also on the show because she has had connections with Brent. So that's beautiful to look forward to. But yeah, I just opened up your book here. And again, everybody, the book is A to Z Healing Toolbox. And so right here where you're talking about pulling yourself out of that pit because you knew Brent needed you and you said, where would I ever begin and your first thought was time would heal us. And everybody says that, oh, give it time. But you thought, you know, time marched on, something was missing. What was missing? Exactly. Well, what was missing for myself and Jacob was action. You know, time, that's wonderful. Time will go by. But what are you going to do with that time? What, what am I doing with my time? That, to me, was the game changer. I knew I needed to be intentional in healing, and I knew I needed action. And that is what the book comprises, uh, 26 chapters of action-based practical tools. And every single one of these tools I have used in my own journey to heal and move forward, bounce forward with uh, or from grief and trauma. And I'm just going to tell everybody listening that they are so beautifully arranged, each letter of the alphabet leading to a tool. And the book itself is so brilliantly designed because it has a pattern to each chapter, which I'd like you to go over in just a second. But what I found really special about it is that it's one of those books you can just pick up and read a little bit at a time, which is exactly what somebody who's in deep grief needs because they can't focus. And why is that, Susan? I'm serious. I don't know what I've Ty and I have had a few moments this week grieving Rudy where our brains just don't function. It's like it shuts off. What is that all about? Exactly. Well, you said it. Uh, you know, there are so many common reactions in grief and, and grief changes the brain. Trauma changes the brain. So I knew when I put this book together, I needed, I needed it to be simple enough, yet informative enough to help those whose brains were not what they were. <laughs> and that doesn't mean our brain won't come back to where it was. But, you know, grief changes us physically, emotionally, behaviorally, mentally, spiritually and socially. So, um, you know, mentally, we've got confusion, forgetfulness, disorientation, difficulty concentrating. You know, these maybe are things that you are feeling right now with the death of your pup. And yeah, no, um, nothing like when Susan passed, but still it's that, that the common features and and I would like to make yes. the point that you made before we went on the air that this book and grief itself is not just, oh, somebody died. How can you relate that to what everybody in the, really the world is going through right now? You know, that's such a great question. I was just out. Um, so I have a home gym now. I'm a big exerciser. And when March came around and I realized I wasn't going to be going back to the gym here in California, I created a home gym. So I get to talk to my neighbors a lot. My garage door is open. And I was speaking with another neighbor this morning, and she is a social worker as well. And she said, isn't it incredible how much grief there is? 
And I mm. said, yes, because grief is not just, well, my sister died, my husband died, my best friend died. Grief is, you know, we attach and love whatever that is. It can be our schedule. It can be our job. It can be, mm. you know, finances. And when those things get removed from our life or we have to detach in some way, that is grief. So Just grieving folks, the way things used to be, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think of all the kids who are home right now, home, you know, homeschooling or home learning, and that they are sad. They are frustrated. They feel heavy. They don't, where are their friends? I mean, they're grieving the loss of connection, grieving the loss of structure. And younger kids may not come out and say that, but they sure act that way behaviorally. <laughs> oh. And so speaking of structure, getting back to the book, I love that you start with a self-test for that shows common grief reactions in adults and a self-test for trauma so that those who use the book can rate themselves by circling all the symptoms they may or may not have before they take the steps. And then as they go through the journey of healing, notice how those symptoms will disappear. I know they will because these are powerful tools. So tell me how you structured each of this, these chapters. Well, the first two chapters, there's a chapter on grief and what is it? And then there's a chapter on trauma and what is it? And I, I really needed to include those before busting out with 26 tools to help because I feel it's so important to normalize the grief process and to normalize the trauma process. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I do when I'm in a huge uh, conference with folks real time, and we will get back to that eventually here after the pandemic, yeah. but mm -hmm. um, I spread out, I print out you know, maybe 30 to 50 common grief reactions in adults. And I put these all over the floor and I give every participant a bag of bingo chips. And mm. I say, you know, I invite them to walk around and place a bingo chip on every grief reaction that is true for them. So folks are walking all over the floor, dropping chips. Huh. Then we stand there as a group and I say, are you the only one who is feeling this way? That's and brilliant. there are hundreds of chips on the floor. And it's a visual I want people to have because this, is, this doesn't feel good, but it is a normal reaction. And grief is a reaction to love. And that is why <laughs> we grieve. Beautiful. So, so each did, chapter we, follows this predictable pattern. I love that each one starts with a very personal and actually uplifting story of yours. You're a beautiful writer. Oh, thank you. Yes, um, I wanted, like I mentioned, to make the book accessible and available just mentally for people. And um, I'm someone who loves laughter. I didn't laugh for quite some time, but I'm, I'm an eternally optimistic person. So I, I wanted to include personal stories in here as well. But each chapter is really, it's, the chapters are brief. Uh, they begin with the healing power of let's say letter A is for animals. Mm -hmm. Why are animals 
um, a healing tool. Um, it's a brief story of mine, you know, two pages long of how animals have helped me heal. In fact, my therapy dog, Kai, is at my feet right here while we talk. And and, and I was um, reading this chapter this morning, and I had our little dog, Nellie, at my side, and I knew you were going to bring up oxytocin. They literally, petting an animal causes this hormone, oxytocin, the pleasure hormone, to flow in our bodies. We, we had a doctor in our house once, and he started petting Nellie, and he said, oh, my God, feel that oxytocin flowing. <laughs> you know, since you mentioned medical practitioners, Medical folks have been prescribing, you know, antidepressant animals or anti-anxiety animals for decades. I didn't make this up. Everything in the book here, there's research for and backing for. So, yes, um, levels of oxytocin rise. um, Feelings of loneliness and isolation decrease. And... You know, animals, whether it's watching fish, I have fish all over my house now, or buying a turtle, you know, something low maintenance, they re- they can relieve human symptoms of anxiety and depression. You know, so I read that I, today and I thought, oh, come on, a goldfish or a turtle. But you made the point that it it's a focus, it's a connection, it's a meditative practice to, to commune with them, just to look at them and take your focus off of other things. Brilliant. Exactly, exactly, which is why so many, um, even my son's orthodontist, which is where we're going today, they have a fish tank in the waiting room because the kids can look at that and de-stress before they go in and have their braces cranked. (laughs) (laughs) So you start with a story in each chapter, and then I love that after the story in each chapter, you say, I wonder if, in this case, animals might assist you on your healing journey. Just boom, just connect it right there at the heart. And then a little brief section, why consider this tool? And then you show in bullets, how do they promote healing? And then single small steps. So, so very practical. You know, I'm very I'm, much I'm taking over person. here, but I'd like you to tell more about what each chapter has because it's so. Oh, well no, done. that's fine. Yeah, I'm very much a why person. Why should I look into this? Why should I do this? What difference would it make? Because that's what I was asking myself when someone would say, oh, you know, you should really sit down and journal. Why? What, what is that doing huh. for me physiologically? Um, so because I'm a why person, I wanted to add the why for all of the why people. You know, don't just take my word for it. Here's the research behind it. Then we go into single small steps. Just, you know, someone said to me, how did you get from the bottomless pit of despair in the dark with a dead husband and a grieving child and trauma to eight years later where I am now, where I'm speaking internationally and running workshops and meeting wonderful people like you? It's single small steps it's not a leap it's a marathon journey is what i say um Mm -hmm. you know a marathon is 26.2 miles and you don't get there in a minute it takes time and effort and energy Mm -hmm. so i have single small steps here that folks can take if they choose to integrate or they want to try to integrate one of the tools into their life 
Um, and they're simple things sometimes. So in the animal chapter, you know, one single small step would be to spend, you know, 20 minutes playing with your pet, just on the floor playing. Or at the time, Brent died, I didn't have a dog, and there was no way I could handle anything else in my life to mm. care for other than Jacob and I. But my friends had dogs. So I would go to their house and just sit on the floor and play with the dog. And, you know, as I read that, I thought, boy, somebody who is in the pit may, you get in this state where you say, I don't want to be with anybody. I don't even want to talk to anybody's dog. You just get in that isolated state. So if that step doesn't work for you at the moment, there are so many others. That's, That's what's beautiful about this. So many options. There are options, and I've had so many people say to me, you know what, I keep this book by my bedside table or on the coffee table, and I just blindly open it to a page. And wherever I land, whether it's M for meditation or um, K for knowing your new environment, that is where they start. There's really no end or beginning to the book because each chapter is a separate entity. Wow. Well, I just opened it random, and it's one of the chapters that I wanted you to talk about. We'll get to that after the break. But you have room in here. It's it's like a workbook where people can write the single steps they took. And then one of the things I love is that each chapter includes several very brief healing stories from others. So it's not just your journey. They're, they're, other people show how applying these specific steps help them. Yes. And I also wanted to make sure that it wasn't just my voice that was heard in the book. You know, by the time I wrote the book, I had, I had met, you know, I was, I was widowed. So I am widowed. Um, and I have met thousands of other widowed people. I work with bereaved parents. I've met hundreds of bereaved parents. So all of their stories are in here as well. Um, and, and it's just a nice, it's a nice way to kind of end each chapter. Yeah, and, and, and I'm know, just going to really- interrupt here because we're coming up to a break, and I'd like to kind of wrap up this little section talking about the chapters just very quickly. Then each chapter ends with a list of resources. Yes, which are also important because we all learn and, and need different things, and so there's a plethora of resources in the book. It's fantastic. And it is exactly what it says, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a very practical guide for navigating grief and trauma. When we come back after the break right now, we're going to talk more with Susan Hannafin McNabb and especially about how you've connected with your husband since he passed and then some more wonderful specific tools. So everybody, don't go far. We'll be right back. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. 
Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hi, everybody. I hope you're getting a lot of good information that you can use from this show as we talked in the first half with Susan Hannafin McNabb, who is a wonderful grief expert. This is not just for people who are grieving the death of a loved one, but grief of any kind, change, loss that we all have to deal with. But especially for those who are in the throes of grief, her wonderful book, A to Z Healing Toolbox, is something everybody should have in their library and a wonderful gift to give to somebody who's grieving. Susan, your husband, Brent, crossed unexpectedly in a car accident. I would love to dive into the spiritual and afterlife aspects of his passing now for a little bit. How have you connected with him since he passed, or how about the first time? I would love to talk about that. And um, as I mentioned, when we first started the call, when I was for, when I was 41, I had no death experience whatsoever. So the afterlife was something that I believed personally. Um, I grew up Catholic, and so I had this idea of heaven is where, where we would go. But that was a concept that was way out there. When Brent died, I really needed to find out where that place was. Where did he go? And yep. initially, I was so, so far down in the black pit of despair, I couldn't even move that direction. It took a trip to Virginia in order for the first connection to happen with Brent and um, this was probably he died in July and it was a few months later we went to my brother's house in Virginia Beach and I was around family I could relax a tiny tiny bit even though I was still deeply deeply grieving and traumatized and I just remember being I was using my nephew's bed so I was in this nice big bright room in the morning and I was in that state of sleep you know right before you wake up you're kind of in this zone and yep. I just remember getting a, a hit of warmth and light through my body and now I was in a dark 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 place and all of a sudden I felt light and joy and warmth in my body and a song just slammed into my entire being, a song. And I thought, I am going crazy. Uh, the song, however, was my favorite song, and Brent knew that song, uh, James Taylor. I'll do a little singing. 
Whenever I see your smiling face, I have to oh, smile yeah. myself. Because I, I love you. You, you know that song. <laughs> yeah. So wow. the song, all I can say is it just slammed into me through my whole body. Mm. And I was in a dark, dark place. I couldn't listen to music. I hadn't listened to music since Brent died because he was a musician, uh, professor by trade, but musician by hobby. He played the bagpipes, the flute, the guitar. I couldn't listen to any music without falling apart. So there was no way that that song came to me on the radio or any other way. Hmm. Um, so I, I thought something's going on here, but because I had no experience with death or the afterlife or where is my person, mm-hmm. I just said, I think I'm going crazy. And I kept moving. Well, these song slams, as I call them, kept <laughs> happening. And they wow. would happen when I was relaxed. In oh, like, the only time I wasn't crying hysterically or running around trying to figure out what to do to help myself and my son was in bed and I would get slammed with these songs. And I started thinking, okay, Brent, (laughs) (laughs) what is going on here? And I would um, Google the song lyrics and I'd print them out and they were messages directly from him to me versus song. Perfect. For, and and you have to notice that, and it's the the randomness of it, but not so random that makes it catches your attention. I tell you, our loved ones in the spirit world are quite clever. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. So music and song was my first. Something is happening here. Um, then I started working. I went on a retreat with a marriage and family therapist who specializes in grief. And she co-led the four-day retreat with a yoga practitioner who was um, using trauma and grief-informed yoga to move grief out of our bodies. So I really got to trust this marriage and family therapist who's also an author. About two years later, she offered another retreat. This time, she was co-facilitating a four-day retreat with a medium. Yay. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to dive in because I have to. I just, something about me, you know, if, if there's something over there on that side of the room that I don't understand, I have to go over there to try to understand it. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is the perfect opportunity because I trust this marriage and family therapist. Right. She obviously thinks that there is value in having all these grieving people sit with a medium for four days on this retreat. Mm. And I tell you what, Suzanne, it blew me out of the water. Yay. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing will change your mind about the afterlife than that personal experience. And clearly you must've gotten some information about Brent that the medium couldn't have known. Oh my goodness. Oh, yes. I mean, we all, we sat there, uh, there were 12 of us, so it was a small group for four days. And the first evening, we had, we did a group reading. So we all just sat there, we each had a box of Kleenex, you know, all of us had lost someone um, in some way, either a mother, 
a spouse, um, a sibling, and it was remarkable what was happening. I mean, Brent just showed up and, I mean, she spoke for 20 minutes about things only he would know Mm -hmm. and things only he would want to tell me. Absolutely no one else would know any of this. And, of course, every loved one of those people in that retreat would be there the whole time with you because they know what you're going through, they know where you are, and they want nothing more than for you all to know they're there. Yes, and that is one of the biggest takeaways. That was a life-changing four-day weekend for me. Um, It just, the, the big takeaway for me was Brent is with me all the time. Whether I tune in to him or not, or whether he sends me a message, you know, to hit me over the head like a two by four is another story. But he's around. He's around me. He's around Jacob. And um, and I saw that so clearly on this four day retreat. Beautiful. Wow. And I love that in your book, going to retreats is one of the tools. Right. Yeah, you know, I think letter H, well, letter H is higher power help. That could be accessing help in the form of a retreat, a spiritual retreat, which is what I did. Um, And there's also retreats in the form of letter P, which is peer mentoring or G, group support. Just Mm. finding your people, you know, finding your people and surrounding yourself with a community of others who get you and get the experience is so important, I believe, to healing. So speaking of that higher power help, I just opened up to H in your book. Anybody that joined us late, it's A to Z healing toolbox. So moving to H, healing power. I hear this so often and I totally get it. You wrote, I was absolutely furious with God, my higher power. I screamed at, yelled at, cursed at God for many, many months. Would you share with us what got you to finally change that? Well, as I mentioned before, this journey has been a marathon and not a sprint. So it's been many small steps and really opening myself up to go find the answer or be open to someone who might have an answer that might resonate with me. So one of the first things that was given to me after Brent died was a book that really, really helped me understand that what I was going through in my anger toward God was very normal. Uh, The book is called A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer with a G, I'm sorry, with a J, Jerry Sitzer, and he is a theology professor. So this theology professor, in one car accident, um, lost his mother, his wife, and a daughter in one accident. And he has three remaining children. They were all in the car together. And I just thought, if this theology professor is angry at God, (laughs) I think I'm okay. (laughs) Like, I think it's okay to be angry. And um, so I needed permission to be angry first. This author gave me permission. I went to a pastor of a local church. He gave me permission. He said, you know what? Here's a pad of paper. I'm going to leave my office. You can start writing to God how angry you are. He he will listen. 
Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so I needed permission, and I, I found the people that gave me permission to be angry. Then I opened no myself up to <laughs> exactly. And then I really just opened myself up to people wanting to help me. Um, I, for times, was angry in God, angry at God. I stopped believing there was a God. I went through all the different stages. And, um, and I had people just show up in my life who wanted to pray for me, pray over me. And I just let them. Mm-hmm. Um, one very powerful experience was actually in a Catholic church. Most people think, you know, Catholic churches are, are pretty conservative, and I would say most of them are. Um, there was a healing service at one of these churches, and my friend said, well, you know, just just come. What can it hurt? And I said, fine, I'll do whatever. I'll stand on my head and eat peanut butter if that's going to help me feel better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to this healing church, and it was kind of one of these out-of-the-TV show you might, uh, or I used to see when I was younger on TV, evangelists, and they would, you know, say in the name of Jesus, and people would fall on the floor, and I would think, what kind of hocus pocus is this? Mm-hmm. And 20 minutes later, that was me on the floor. Oh wow! So I really just went full throttle into opening myself to mediumship, to higher power help. If people wanted to give that to me, if pastors, if rabbis, I mean, whoever had it, bring it on because I need help. And you say in this chapter H on healing and higher power that one day on your knees, well, why don't you share what happened? You finally did what? I surrendered. Yeah. Um my closet, all of my friends know that my closet, my walk-in closet in my room was my sacred place to yell, scream, cry, kick, be as angry as I needed to be, be as upset as I needed to be, yelling at Brent, yelling at God, and I, I needed help. I, I couldn't do this on my own. And so I surrendered and just said, okay, God. I need help, and I will do whatever it is that I need to do. And I opened myself to all of these experiences. And we hear this. We hear this so often, and and it's part of the way things work here, that we it takes us to knowing we are not alone. We are not this individual left on our own being, but part of something greater. And it's in the asking, in the surrendering that we come to know that. And it doesn't mean we're weak and powerless, but it shows us we're part of something so much greater. So you asked and you write here and help came. Yes. So much help, so much help. And I think, you know, we're in a culture that says we should do things by ourselves. We should figure it out on our own. And that is not how we were created. We are human beings. We are supposed to be being together. And I'm such a firm believer in healing happening in community, which is why I love going to conferences, even virtual conferences. It's a community of people healing. Um, I am the program and education manager for 
an organization, a nonprofit called Soaring Spirits International. Yeah, I wasn't going to let you get away with not talking about that because uh, everybody, Susan is the one that introduced me to Soaring Spirits International, which is a group for the widowed community, men, women, uh, doesn't matter who your life partner is. And I have been referring people to it, Susan, in my readings when they need a support group. If If they're widowed or widowers, uh, it's just fantastic. Well, I'm glad that, that you're using the resource. Yes, we are a global support network for the widowed community. People can find us at Soaring Spirits, like spirits in the sky, soaringspirits.org. We run virtual conferences, live conferences. We have regional groups, uh, regional social groups that meet live and virtually in three countries. Um, we are just a huge supporter of widowed folks, and um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see all of these people that I met years ago um, healing together. We're, we heal in community, and um, I think that one of the most important factors in healing is finding your people, whoever they are. Who understand, right? Understand exactly. what you're going through. Yeah, exactly. like helping parents heal mean. for shining light parents. Those with a child across the veil. Same thing that you're not alone. Others do understand. Wow. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. And I'm really appreciating. So, sure. Uh huh. Yeah. So I mentioned before the break, and you'd said you some people keep your book, the Healing Toolbox A to Z Healing Toolbox, by their bedside. I'm going to say it again. Everybody buy this book. Really, <laughs> it is a, a resource everybody should have in their home. For any kind of grief, but you open randomly and see how it helps you. I opened the chapter I opened to is the one on touch. I love this. Talk about touch and some of the the ways we can get that even in a pandemic. <laughs> right. You know that's that's a tricky one, and it's one that widowed people miss often because the person who gave that to us is suddenly not here anymore. Um. But we're humans, right? We, we need touch. And we all know the stories of babies who are left untouched. They do not thrive. And yeah. as human adults, we do not thrive with lack of touch. But I have learned that there are other ways to get touch um, in addition to having a partner or spouse. Um, animals are great for that. If you don't have an animal, you can borrow one. (laughs) I even have folks who went to volunteer time at a shelter so that they could be with the animals and let the animals be with them. Um, I'm big on massage therapy. I do that. Well, before this pandemic, I would do that once a month for myself. And I used to feel like that was such a luxury. And now it's a necessity. Yeah. Um, children, right? Children, you can get touch from children, yours or your niece or your nephew or your grandchild, just holding, right? Holding mm-hmm. children, holding babies. So there are other ways to incorporate that. Um, even, you know, hairdressers are great before or after they wash their head. A lot of hairdressers will do a head massage, just savoring all of all of those small touches throughout the day and the week. And a beautiful gift we can give to others, too. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yep. So these tools in your book, 26 different topics, but 
way more than just 26 tools. That's the thing. Each one is so packed with things that people can do. So here's a, this is a devil's advocate question. I know the answer, <laughs> but for everybody, <laughs> okay. everybody's benefit. Are these tools just busy work so we don't have to feel the pain? Absolutely not. These tools will help you move with the pain and through the pain. You know, we all know that you can't avoid grief. You can't walk around it or over it. You have to walk through it. These tools will help you walk through. Um, and, and there are 26 tools because we are all different humans and we all gravitate toward different, um, different things in life to help us. You know, I'm a huge exerciser and a huge nature girl growing up in San Diego. So I immediately went outside and I immediately started exercising just because it was something I knew. Fortunately, yeah. those two things are powerful healing tools regardless of grief. You um, know, that is so true. Are- and if I don't get out of the house in the morning, if I go straight from meditation and breakfast to working on projects on my computer – there's an energy that I may not even be aware of until I step outside to walk one of the dogs. And it's just like, oh, that fresh air is just a complete change in your feeling. Just getting outside, let alone getting yes. fresh air through walking or exercising. Yes, yes. And it used to be, oh, well, you know, exercise, do it. You know, it's good for you. But again, the why. Why is it good to exercise when you are grieving? Well, you know, back to the oxytocin lift, back to the dopamine lift. I mean, we need those chemicals to increase in our brain. And during grief, those are at a very low level. So again, doctors and scientists have been toting the the powerful effects of, of exercise for decades. And that could just be a walk with your dogs in the sun. It could be for me, I take my paddleboard out or go for a hike in the hills. Um, anything to just move, move, move. Yeah. Would you address, and we have just a few minutes left here, uh, that some when you look over the list of and the self-test of pe- of symptoms and and behaviors of people who are grieving, I've been. I have experienced them over the years and we really feel like we're going crazy and we do what we do things that other people would say are crazy. Would you discuss crazy? Yes. Well, as I mentioned (laughs) before, you know, our brain changes, you know, we are, we are affected physically, emotionally, behaviorally, socially, mentally, and spiritually by grief. So behaviorally, I mean, do I usually walk into my walk-in closet and scream and cry and wail? No, but during grief, yes. Um, do Was I able to read novels before Brent died? Yes. Do I really pick up a novel now? No, and that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. Our brain is affected. Um, one of the stories I tell in the book is um, of me walking around all day long to uh, my son's school to get groceries, wherever I was going. And at the end of the day, I realized I have a smashed green earplug in my hair that has been there all day long. And um, 
I was so not noticing anything that I walked around all day with a green earplug smashed in my hair. <laughs> that, that's not as bad as the other story you told, though, Susan, of the woman that walked to her car in the parking garage across the street in a busy city without her pants on. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fabulous story. My friend Kelly, yes, grieving the loss of her husband as well and lived in um, a place where she had to go walk to her car, you know, across a couple busy streets. And she walked out, walked down the street, you know, passed a bunch of people, passed a car full of, you know, a busload of people, got into the car, sat down to buckle her seatbelt. And lo and behold, she has no pants on. Oh, my God. So we, it, you know, that's grief brain. That is my term for it is grief brain. Sometimes widows say widow brain. But, yeah, we're, we're loopy. And it won't last forever, but it sure does That's, last a while, and it's normal. And the worst part for that woman was she had to then go back, retrace her steps <laughs> ah, to get her pants. But let's um, – you know, I'm laughing now because your book gives us hope. This is show is Messages of Hope. You've, you've, you, you've given people tools to move forward, and you will always – miss the physical presence of your loved one but could you just wrap up with what what how you would like people what they, you would like them to take away from this about living with the death of a loved one well i will say to everyone what my good girlfriend said to me who was also widowed when i met her she said your life will not be the same but it will be awesome once again Oh, nice. And I would say that my life is awesome once again. It is definitely not the same, but there's been a lot of post-traumatic growth, and that's a topic for another day, but Mm -hmm. um, post-traumatic growth and healing is amazing. So many wonderful relationships and experiences and appreciations have come out of Brent's death, and I know that he's guiding me along the way. That is beautiful. That is the, this the wonderful awareness to come to. I thank you so much, Susan, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and your love with us. Thank you, Suzanne. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Yay. Thank you, Susan. We'll see you all next week. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. 
If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.